we are again. For those who are watching live, we just had a bit of a power, power outage on the previous show. Yeah, do that. Very Take good. two. Take two. Uh, so we're restarting. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's a sign of sign of the times. Sign of things to come. Well, my first thought was take that Putin. Yeah, that'll teach him. Because you see, you see, yeah, you see, yeah. It's totally there was a power outage, and that was for the greater good, right. which shut our show off, mm-hmm. which hurt Putin. Right. It hurt us too, but that's for the greater good. Yeah. Sacrificing. Like Jesus. Yeah. Only our God is NATO. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so you're worried about uh, dirty dirty bombs, dirty nukes, dirty bo- dirty nuke bombs. Yeah. Are they nukes? Dirty bombs. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. They are. Well, no. They could be radiation, no? Minus, minus, like just minus the fun of the mushroom cloud. Right. No, no major explosion. Fun in quotes, of course. Um, no major explosion. No, it's just, just like. release of. Well, there's a, I think there's a, I think if for it to work, there would be a significant kaboom. Yeah, the, but, but not a, a boom. Yeah. not a mushroom not, cloud. The destructive part isn't the explosion; it's the radiation. It's That's the radiation. The, right. uh, uh, yeah. So tell us again what the why you're talking about why you're worried about well, dirty bombs. It, 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 it came to me earlier in the week that you know as things get desperate for Kiev, um, they will do anything. Yeah. Um, now, all that stuff about nuclear war weren't oh. Vlad's serious. We must take him seriously. And we talked about last week how the hysteria, they don't mind it coming and they don't mind it even when the other side, when Putin uses it because they can leverage that too Mm -hmm. because it provides a kind of a general information cover under which the actual proxy war can continue in different ways and escalate. Those are many things that can happen before all-out nuclear war between them. But one of those things would be, I thought, in this situation where the reality on the ground is that Putin has won, whatever that actually, whatever that ends up meaning, maybe just the four provinces are Russia, Kiev gets regime change, and NATO backs down at the last because as much as Zelensky wants them to bomb, the Kremlin is just not going to happen, okay? So, so the, the NATO, the, the end result of the real world, never mind the, the phony war that they've told everyone is going on of the real war would be the NATO backs down and that's the new fact on the ground Russia is bigger Ukraine is smaller etc etc but how are they going to take that well they're they're not going to take it well ideally they have to come out of it with a win of some form and the thought occurred to me in the week before I even heard these rumors was that well they let Vlad have his victory but it's so tainted it's so tainted Mm -hmm. with horror with the atrocity of death of mass deaths, you know, and just something beyond the pale that there you go, Vlad, there's your victory and it's tainted forever. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what is something that's happened in the past that forever tainted Russia and Russians? Chernobyl. Right. And Chernobyl, you know, wasn't done to Russia, at least not by any NATO forces anyway. Um, but the, the result of it is that in people's minds, look at that TV show that was super popular a few mm-hmm. years ago. People go Chernobyl. They they know maybe consciously that it's in Ukraine, but it's two sub thoughts away from yeah. Well, that's that's Moscow's fault. Right. It's because of the Soviet system, the corruption. It's Russian. It's it's a Russian man-made disaster. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it would be Russians. You know, that poison a whole region in but, their own territory. But here you're talking about a false flag. Basically. Here it's a different. Well, you better explain story. what you're talking about because you haven't actually explained the the actual why you're talking about this. Um, you did before we had the blackout, but you haven't actually explained the 
Well, what's in the news about it? Well, on the ground, well, the, the rumor of the week was that the the city in question that would be subject to this would be Nikolaev, which is across from Kherson City, across the the mouth of the Dnieper River. Um, in the last twenty four hours, two things have happened. One, the mayor and or leadership of that city on on the Ukrainian control side has ordered the evacuation of Nikolaev. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's actually underway, as opposed to Kherson, which definitely is underway, mass evacuation of people. The other thing is that ha- what happened today. Defense Minister Shoigu had a phone call with the defense ministers of France mm-hmm. and Turkey. Um, let's put this up, maybe. Uh, Scott, are you in a position to put a link up? I tell you what, you take yes. your time. Take your time. I'll send it to you here. Just for the record, because um, it is breaking news, and it's going to end up being widely... I think this is actually a source of Reuters, so it, it, this isn't like... Um, it won't be widely talked about, but it means that... Okay, it's the headline here. Um, Russia's Shoigu discusses Ukraine and calls with France and Turkey. So scroll down a bit there. He brought up the dirty bomb situation. Second paragraph, the situation in Ukraine, which is a steady tendency towards further uncontrolled escalation, was discussed. And below that red link, in both calls, Shoigu conveyed, quote, concerns about possible provocations by Ukraine with the use of a dirty bomb, or a.k.a. a dirty nuke. Um, That was the extent of what was shared publicly. Um, But it's interesting, I thought, that that's been articulated now by the Russian side. Um. Yeah, there's not just you know people on Telegram talking about. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, for people who don't, people probably haven't seen this website in, in a long time, especially people in Europe, because I think in most European countries this website has been blocked for quite a long time. It's actually Sputnik. Um, I vaguely remember Sputnik. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a, basically had a report on the same story, uh, and the the details again more or less the same. That last that last article was saying that that uh, Shoigu had talked to the French Defence Minister and the, the Turks basically about this, saying that, listen, this is what Kiev is planning, just FYI. It's almost like they're going around to the people that they feel. It's interesting that they contacted France about it, you know, because France has been... So, I mean, obviously France is fully on board, mostly on board, let's say, with the NATO you know, agenda in Ukraine, etc. But they seem to be holding back. You know, Germany's holding back to a certain extent as reluctantly. well. Reluctantly. Yeah, reluctantly on board, I suppose. Um, but anyway, so we talked to the... French Foreign Minister, or French Defence Minister, I think, uh, about it and just said, listen, if this happens, this is what Ukraine is planning. So if it happens, it's not us, basically. It's a heads up, like, it's to try and get people on, on board to not, like, freak out if it were to happen. But uh, second paragraph down there, uh, third, uh, third paragraph, Dirty Bomb, also known as a radiological dispersal device, combines a conventional explosive with radioactive material, typically uses dynamite or other explosives to scatter radioactive dust or smoke. Uh, so this is from... Just on the paragraph above that, the Kiev regime is preparing a provocation related to the detonation of the so-called dirty bomb in Ukraine. Unnamed credible sources in various countries, including Ukraine, have said. This is according to Sputnik, anyway. Um, The sources argue that the purpose of the provocation is to accuse Moscow of using weapons of mass destruction amid the ongoing uh, special military operation in Ukraine and launch a global anti-Russian campaign aimed at undermining confidence in, in Moscow. Moscow. Of course, so also, it's for yeah. the world ahead. Right. Yeah. Do you want to trade with? Do you want to buy weapons right. from these dirty, dirty Russians? Dirty that, bombers. That, that's that's what, what, um, that, what that's uh, teed up for. And 
Well, it also, you know, it'd be quite useful, I suppose, as a distraction in a way if it were to happen or, um, yeah, I suppose as a distraction. I'm not sure if much can distract from the likely impending um, uh, defeat of the Democrats in the uh, upcoming midterms in, in a couple of weeks in the US, but it certainly would be something that would, you know, maybe refocus the world's attention away or give them something to talk about, you know, listen. I don't know how it would directly affect that, but it would certainly be a distraction from from them doing really badly in the upcoming uh, midterms. But, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, over the past 10 years, as we've talked about previously, um, Russia has been presented or, or portrayed to the world by Western countries, particularly America and the British or the English, as this, you know, evil regime. That's what, I mean, that's why they can get away with the propaganda that they get away with today. The lies and disinformation they get, get away with today about the situation in Ukraine, about Russia, about what's happening in Ukraine, because they prepared the ground over the past 10 years at least, presenting uh, Russia as this evil, tyrannical regime that will stoop to no, that will, will not, will not, uh, will not stop to, will not, Balk at, you know, stooping to any depths of depravity in terms of, well, they never really give a good explanation as to why they do it. I mean, I'm thinking specifically here of the Scribbles in the UK a few years back, uh, the the Novichok, the chemical agent that a couple of Russians supposedly spread around in in Salisbury in Salisbury in, in England, uh, and theoretically to kill uh, civilians. Well, no, no Skripal, who was a oh, former... Right, yeah. It was an assassination. Yes, it was an, it was an assassination, yeah. But there were several other people who were infected and stuff. And so, I mean, there's that. Then there's the MH17, the shooting down of MH17 that was, you know, without any clear evidence, blamed on Russia. Putin killed my baby, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Russia and Putin in particular have been presented over a long time or portrayed over a long time to the West as evil incarnate. So, dropping a or detonating a, a, an RDD, a radiological dispersal device, in Ukraine would be par for the course. Like, I mean, there's yeah. everybody... Well, yeah, of course Russia did that, because look what they've done in the past, you know, despite the fact that, obviously, there's no real evidence for any of the claims that have been made against them in the past. So, um, yeah. One other piece of data to throw in. Russia, the Russian government did warn about Ukraine making a, quote, dirty bomb back in March. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, after some Reuters as well. Let me put this one up. March 6th. Hmm. Um, Russian media site, an unnamed source, is saying that Ukraine was close to building a plutonium-based dirty bomb. Hmm. The first paragraph there. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're talking about Nikolaev or Nikolaev, whatever you want to call it. Just Pull up Google Maps there, Scotty, so we can uh, have a look at the actual... There's Mikolaev, south, eastern, central, in the map there, and uh, Kherson. So right now, you have, so you have the Dnieper River uh, on, uh, running down through Kherson. You have... Um, it also feeds Crimea, which is just further south. If you scroll out, uh, zoom out a little bit, you can see Crimea. Um, Below, there's the top of Crimea down there. Basically, that river, the Dnieper River, there's a canal or a canal that feeds water to uh, to Crimea. Uh, and zoom back in on Kherson. So on Kherson, you have um, you have for the past four or five days, you've had uh, the Russians evacuating 
citizens from that city, 60,000 supposedly, um, moving them basically uh, eastwards to the right on the map basically there uh, in, a, in, in anticipation, I suppose, of a Russian advance into Kherson and through Kherson. Um, of course, the Ukrainian media and the Ukrainian Twitterati and the NAFO people on Twitter and stuff have been saying that the Russian evacuation of citizens from Kherson is a prelude to them evacuating themselves as well to basically abandoning Kherson and giving it up to the Ukrainians, mm-hmm. right, which is, I mean, the level of, you know, copium that those people are snorting uh, or the level of illusion that they willfully engage in is bizarre, you know. I mean, it never, it just, it, <laughs> I mean, it should stop amazing me. It should have stopped amazing me at this point, but every time I, you know, see some the Twitter accounts of these people I just I still can't decide whether it's you know deep deep delusion or whether they're consciously doing it because like I've said before it, they see it as part of the war propaganda to deliberately spread disinformation in order to try and you know keep everybody buoyed up basically keep the Ukrainian people the Ukrainian military and the West all buoyed up as in like we're winning Russia's losing even though when there's the evidence for that is exactly the opposite they keep saying the same thing and I'm like it's just I don't know are they that deluded or I don't know I don't even want to try and figure it out but it's bullshit anyway obviously for the most part um, yeah so and, and just go back to the map there so, so Nikolaev is um, where did it go to the upper left yeah, there. upper left. So that's... So supposedly now uh, Mikolaev is where Shoigu and these other sources have said that Ukraine might be planning to detonate a radioactive dispersal device. Shoigu sure, sure didn't specify that city. Oh, he didn't. But no. people have been saying, yeah. basically, the, the unnamed sources have been saying that's maybe a likely place. And interestingly, the Ukrainians are reportedly... Are have, uh, well, actually, the, the mayor of the town has yeah. urged... I see no follow-up. People to leave the town. Too. I see no follow-up about it. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's vague, but we only have a little, a few little things, but we've got Shogu's statement, and when I thought about it in the week, I thought that is, as sick as it sounds, that is a logical escalatory right. tack to uh, take. And given that it's been publicized now, at least, of course, none of the Western media reports on it, reports on any of these statements by Shoigu or anyone else or any other media, any other, uh, like Sputnik or, or anyone else, none of the Western media reports that, uh, that that this claim has been made, that it would be Ukraine who would be, is, Ukraine, Ukraine's planning to detonate some kind of a radioactive device. Um, but I think that it's out there enough, at least on social media and stuff, at this point, that it would be hopefully unlikely that they'll do it. I mean, you have to hope that that level of exposure would stop them from, or at least make them think twice about going ahead and doing it if that's what they're planning to do. Um, but we'll see. I have another report here. This is um, David Petraeus. Mm. Huh? Remember him? Uh, raised his head this week to say something. Um, can, can you put that one up? Uh, this is RT reporting, but I think he was interviewed by France's L'Express mm. Weekly on Saturday. So this is from yesterday. Okay. It's, uh, it's fight and talk. Look at the headline. U.S. could directly intervene in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, bravado 
But um, the scenario he describes that might, he says, tip America's hand is interesting because he says Washington might form a new coalition of the willing. Well, that's the first bit of interesting data. Forget NATO because they know they won't have NATO unanimity. Just like back in the Iraq War, coalition so they of the created willing. a coalition of the willing. Well, whoever well, wants to come with well, that us. include Micronesia. <laughs> they were part of the original coalition of the willing, Micronesia. I, it'll include Poland, I can tell you. Um, so that's the first you know, <clears throat> signal of uh, we're going outside the normal institutions, even mm. though NATO isn't a normal international institution in itself. That's the first thing. The second thing, the paragraph below that, Russia could take some actions in Ukraine that would be, quote, so shocking and so horrific that it would prompt a response in the U.S. and other nations, he said, adding that they, quote, might react in one way or another, but as a multinational force led by the U.S. and not as a NATO force. So Iraq, Iraq uh, redux. Iraq redux, Iraq yeah. part, part two. Uh, it's, ha- it's funny how they just rehash the same old bullshit. But the- I mean, of course, they, they, they suppose they think they're talking to people who have no clue whatsoever and just haven't been paying attention for so long. But for people like... Like us and, and a lot of other people who you know have been have been paying attention to what the US has been doing over the past twenty thirty years or whatever, well, um, it's 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 hilarious for him to hear him talk about a coalition of the willing and uh, a US led coalition of the willing into Ukraine. It just I mean, uh, it didn't work in Iraq, dude. It wasn't a good idea. Nobody it, liked it. It tells us something. It tells us that they know they don't have full NATO support. Right. For going to the next step. Right, so it'll so be the US, Poland, like, and Micronesia. They've gone from F the EU to F NATO. <laughs> Whoever will come with us. Yeah. Um, Vanuatu. Vanuatu. Um, and the Easter Islands. Poland and Estonia. Estonia and uh, Far- Faroe Islands. Uh, but I just. The, the thing there was that what he was setting up, the, the red line in the desert, remember, mm. 2013, was. Russia could take some actions in Ukraine so shocking and so horrific. Mm. So he doesn't mention the dirty nuke, but that... What else does he mean? Well, he might mean something else. They might be talking about... The the dirty nuke thing could be on the wish list, but not the most realistic thing coming up But what else could be so shocking? The dam further up the river, Mm. hence... The right. massive vacu- the General okay. Suvorovkin, the General Armageddon, explicitly cited it as the reason, or one of the reasons for mass evacuating the city of Kherson. The dam has been targeted this week. This is a not the biggest dam, but a big enough one that it would flood the entire region and most of the city of Kherson. Mm. Um, even if they evac enough people, there are so many settlements still on the from our perspective, looking at it above from the south side of the Kherson, of the Dnieper River, it would still kill thousands of people, um, even with the evacuations that are currently on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, that may be what he had in mind there. That may be a more realistic um, top of the list at the moment than Dirty Nuke. We may not be at le- that level of desperation yet that they would do something like that, but I think they are for real targeting this dam. With a view, of course, to blaming Russia for okay. it, blah, blah, blah. Well, well the, the Zelensky, is, or I think, I don't know if it's Zelensky, but someone in the in Ukrainian government said that uh, specifically that the Russians had been placing, they know Russians had been placing mines on that dam. Right. So it's like, it gets very murky here. You're, we're deep into like uh, false flag territory here, you know, open, openly discussed false flag territory, and it doesn't seem to be a problem because, as most people should be aware anyway, that before now, false flags were solidly in the domain of crazy conspiracy theories, like the idea that someone would, one state would carry out 
an attack and make it look like it was the other another state who did it and then blame them for it and attack them or whatever. That's pure conspiracy theory. I mean, that's been that's the stuff of obviously nine eleven. It was it was it was around before nine eleven, and the term false flag is not is actually historically uh, valid in a sense where you know it was an actual you know military strategy at times, but it, uh, in the in the modern era it was pure conspiracy theory, probably because it was used with reference to 9-11, and once you try and say 9-11 was a false flag, i.e. it wasn't, essentially America attacked itself in one way or another, then you're like, oh, you're, 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 you're a social pariah, get out of here, don't, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists. But uh, just for, on the dam here, this is uh, an instructive uh, video, um, a little short, that's a gif actually, I think, yeah, the one on the right there, Scotty, just click on it. You can expand it a little bit, or yeah, there you go. Okay, that's so that's the river, and then it just shows the flooding that would. That's a reservoir at the top. Mm. Dams there, and that's and that's curse on the, the X E P C O H. Yeah, that's the city. Um, so at this point, like below in the black, below where the numbers are, you have that's where Russian troops are around Kherson. That's where Russian troops are. They're actually in Kherson, uh, and they're planning to head eastwards, push eastwards where the Ukrainians are. So who would benefit well, uh, for, from this scenario? Obviously, it would obviously stop, the Ukrainians. It would every, stop every, a Russian advance. Every bridge there would be destroyed. Um, they wouldn't be able to put pontoon bridges across. Everything would have to be airlifted mm. at that point, whether it's evacuees going south or weapons going north. Right. Um, so the obvious benefit, benefit factor is the Ukrainian side. Um, that is... Super possible. I think, I think they have been firing at the dam. Plus the rumors about well, the, the Ukrainian side said it was rigged with explosives. Um, Suvorovkin specifically cited it as a reason to um, evacuate the city of Kherson. Mm-hmm. The Ukrainian actually- side says the opposite. No, they're evacuating Kherson because well, the, there's, there's well, the idiotic version, which is because they're also fleeing troops and all they're all packing up and going right. home and taking their stupid russians with them but the more serious ukrainian version of it is no they're preparing um a massive bombardment of ukrainian forces that are outside the city right shelling okay if you go back to the, go back to that twitter link scotty just the, the the main one and scroll down there's a picture of the hydroelectric hydroelectric power plant at this dam uh so it would also in theory destroy that and it would you know, cause power outages or power problems for the for the region. Um, if you just scroll down that whole, scroll down until you see a picture. Show more replies. Oh, sorry, maybe the show more replies just above. Hmm. Mm, there isn't one. Yeah, go down, right there. Oh, here. Uh, oh, nope. why don't you have the same? I don't, Twitter's doing something weird where, like, it started to like crash the computer when I played that animated GIF. So, oh, everything's anyway, falling apart. Well, there's, so, there's, you know. there was a there's a picture of the dam and um, the the obviously from someone he's got a NAFO troll in his <laughs> as his avatar. Russia is setting a stage for false flag attack on the Kharkova hydroelectric power plant near Kherson, likely to set conditions for Russian forces to damage the dam and then blame Ukraine while using the resulting floods to cover their own retreat further south into the Kherson Oblast. Wow, what a, a potted, story. A potted analysis. Um, armchair general analysis. But, uh, yeah. Um, 
it's kind of interesting. But if you just put up that, I sent you a link there. Uh, it's to I think it was another Twitter link, Scotty, just before that. Um, yeah, so let's watch this. This is talking about uh, Petraeus's idea of NATO actually getting directly involved in Ukraine. This is CBS Morning News, and uh, they got a sneak peek into the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne, who's practicing for war with Russia, right on the Ukrainian border. Let's have a listen. At a forward operating site, we watched as U.S. soldiers and Romanian troops pounded targets in a joint ground and air assault. The tank rounds and artillery fire are real. So is the enemy, meant to recreate the fight against Russian forces in Ukraine. A message to Russia and NATO allies alike, we're here. The real meaning for me to have the American troops here is like if you were to have allies in Normandy before any enemy was there. (laughs) In all, roughly 4,700 soldiers of the 101st Screaming Eagles from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, have been deployed to reinforce NATO's eastern flank. You've had an opportunity to to watch, observe, and possibly study the Russians. What do you think of them so far? So we're, uh, we're closely watching them. So we're building... Uh, like objectives to, to practice against that like exactly what's going on in Ukraine. We're the closest American unit to the fighting in Ukraine. And what does that feel like? What does that mean? It uh, keeps, us on, uh, keeps us on our toes, right? So, Ready to fight tonight is a message that we've heard repeatedly. It's not just about defending NATO territory, but if the fight escalates and NATO partners are under threat, they're fully prepared to cross over into Ukrainian territory fully if prepared. ordered to do so. Back to you in the studio. Oh, boy. Charlie Daggett, a force in Romania. Oh, boy. Damn, that makes me feel good. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Freedom. Hoorah. <laughs> Freedom. Um, We're the closest to the fighting, which is actually bullshit because there are a lot of Americans in Ukraine. In Ukraine already, yeah. Uh, that's hush hush, you know what I said. That's, that's, that's top secret. Um, yeah, so it could happen, you know. I mean, the reason they're on the Polish border there. Uh, like, oh, those ones, there's well, more. There's more on the Polish border. Um, so we talked last week about the amassing of. Russian and Belarusian troops on the Belarusian border, north, you know, and maybe towards the the, the west of Ukraine. Uh, so these guys, well, the guys like these in Poland, <clears throat> may be there to, maybe a cause for them entering into directly into into Ukraine and therefore being in direct contact with Russian forces or under direct attack by Russian forces would be if Russian and Belarusian forces were to move south across the Belarusian border to try and cut off. Because we don't know this, but obviously the Russian government, the Russian military would like to cut off the supply lines from Poland and into western Ukraine that then feed the war with, directly with Russian troops in the further east. Um, so be, I'm sure they would like to cut off those supply lines, you know, um, to, to, in some way or other. But, I mean, it's a difficult thing to do, right? Uh, but that's one of the theories as to what, what those troops in... Um, in Belarus, the Russian troops, the Belarusian troops have been, have been uh, grouping there. That's one of the theories. I mean, people are just left to come up with ideas or explanations as to why what these movements of, of troops are for. Um, we talked about it last week. It could be to uh, to as a defensive maneuver, basically in case there's some attempted incursion into Belarus, 
or it may be offensive where they may be planning to try and to try and move south. I mean, it, it doesn't sound likely to me based on the way Russia has, you know, navigated the whole situation until now. Although they have recently, obviously, uh, stepped up with last week's missile bombardment of the energy infrastructure and you know critical infrastructure to try and I mean that's one way you can try and stop it, but you don't stop it for long doing that. You know, <clears throat> you really have to occupy. These uh, these territories, you have to really, you know, have direct uh, a direct impact on them with and with with manpower and you know military equipment, basically to really disrupt those those uh, the weapons those, coming those transport lines. Yeah. yeah, the transport yeah. lines of weapons coming in from Poland through through Western Ukraine, um, and of course the missile bombardment at the time last week, and it's been continuing on during the week. They've been hitting places in Western Ukraine and around those areas where you know command and control or decision-making centers and uh, organization centers and stuff in Western Ukraine. They have been hitting those and even up until yesterday uh, and even this morning. Um, yeah. But all of that came in the heels of the attack on the Crimean Bridge, which and all of that was seen as a response to that attack on the Crimean Bridge. So it cannot necessarily be inferred that th- this last week of uh, in fairly intense missile strikes on that Ukraine, across Ukrainian infrastructure, causing blackouts and power outages and internet outages, that you can't necessarily construe that as the prelude to some new, bigger, more more active phase in, in the conflict, because it came seemed to come as a direct response to the, you know, what I mean, it's just punish. You can see it as just punishment for the attack on the on the, on the Crimean Bridge and nothing more. It doesn't doesn't uh, it doesn't predict yeah. a, a, a new phase. Yeah. So it's hard to know, which is why you have so many people just throwing canned analyses out left, right and centre of what's yeah. actually happening, when more than likely it's just going to continue on uh, in one form or another, similar to the way it has been. Okay, maybe a little escalation here, an escalation there, but it's almost like someone wants to, I mean, talking about the dirty, dirty, dirty bomb and stuff, there, there's motivation on both sides, both on the Russian side and on the NATO side, the American side, to bring it to a head. You know, to do something that is a kind of close to a crushing blow on the enemy and, and bring this to an end rather than let it. Because maybe the, the, the alternative is that it grinds on for another year, another two years, and over that span of time, the odds are more in Russia's favour if it just continues to grind. And I think that ultimately Russia can sit back and allow that to happen. Sure, they would like to be over sooner. But if they have to, there isn't as much urgency among the Russians, I think, to bring it to an end because that slow, slower, longer-term grind is ultimately in their favor compared to uh, for, for, the, for the Americans or NATO. Uh, they're going to lose in that respect over a longer period of time, and that's why they would like to um, do something, anything. But they can't do a lot. You know, they're, they're hamstrung in that sense. They... They don't want this direct contact between NATO and Russian forces because of the potential for escalation into World War Three, quote unquote. Um, so, short of that, what can they do? Yeah, they can do some propaganda move, like a, a, some kind of a what did Petraeus call it? A, so, a, so uh, such a, a horrific or Russia could take some actions in Ukraine that would be so shocking and so, so shocking, horrific, shocking and horrific that it would prompt a response from right. the U.S. That's the best they have, basically, in terms of the, the Americans have in terms of bringing this thing to an end or to a head. And but it's, is it going to work? Would that work? 
because ultimately it's propaganda. It doesn't have any direct effect on the actual battlefield or the you know you know the progress of the war, who's winning or losing. It only it hopes to win the war did through I, smearing, through propaganda. Through smearing. Did it have any effect in Syria? On about eight no. occasions, they said, hmm. "Here's the it red line." Then there was a chemical weapons incident. Lots of argy bargy, a ceasefire, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you know it quietly went away because it was usually investigated and found to be not Assad and not the Russians behind Assad who did it. And then on to the next one and the next one. Did it ever have any real effects? No. Maybe it helped create enough space, in literal terms, space for the U.S. to carve out the base at Al Tanf in the south and their occupation of northeastern Syria. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the overall war, if you assume the primary aim was to unseat Assad, mm-hmm. it failed, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's it all they work. know. It's what they do. Right. It's all they know. This it's is all the same kind of thing, but maybe on a much bigger – I suppose the brinkmanship is higher here. The, the, the risk of something happening is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, the movement of troops, this – this, I don't think anything really changed. They've always been in Romania. They've always been in Poland. But this publication of it, this sharing with the world, is a kind of propaganda counter to Russia moving 9,000 troops mm-hmm. into Belarus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's showing what he can do. And we will show the world what we've already done, but we'll mm-hmm. make it look like we've just arrived or something. Mm. So it's, it's brinkmanship. Um, Zelensky is now daily calling on practically every time he gets on NATO to, to nuke Russia first. Um, in his latest one, he says, strike the Kremlin as a retaliate, retaliatory measure if Russia strikes the president's office in Kiev. Right. So if they kill me, you must kill him. Um, more insane ramblings from Kiev. Uh, the Yukis are still, they're still able to shell Belgorod across the border into Russia proper. Um, so for all the incapacitation, if that's the word, of Russian energy infrastructure, they're still able to do things. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, of Ukrainian infrastructure. Um, the other big – NATO says, ah, it's nothing. This was regularly – this was just a scheduled event. But it's an escalatory signature. Um, they, conduct, they did um, strategic nuclear exercises in Europe this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we'll put this one up. Uh, Operation Steadfast Noon, in which NATO, the U.S., basically, together with some Western NATO countries, rehearsed dropping nuclear bombs in Europe. Mm-hmm. Look at the headline. Well, in fairness, this is the World Socialist website, so they would maybe put that gloss on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> U.S. rehearses dropping nuclear bombs in Europe. That That is what it is. Um, it's a much more truthful version than anything you'll see in, in the mainstream media. Um, they do this every year, though. They do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Working out of Belgium. But they, it's the kind of was – right. They, they say they don't use real nukes in the, the drills. So the planes aren't right. actually equipped with nukes. But, but who knows? Nevertheless, it, it remains the fact. It's a reminder to Russia that the U.S. has nuclear weapons all over Western Europe. I don't know to what extent they have them now in the Eastern NATO members, but mm-hmm. 
probably a lot. They probably do. They probably have moved capacity. This was the, if you remember, the, the last thing that happened just before Putin declared this special military operation was Zelensky coming back from Munich saying, I've been talking to our friends in the West and they're like, you know, we should, Ukraine should seriously think about getting some nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. And with all the stuff about NATO, how they wanted to de jure join NATO and de facto they were still, they were participating in NATO, NATO exercise. NATO had trained their troops for the last eight years and so on. The Russians were like, I mean, you're talking about bringing every, all your capacity, including your nukes, up to the Donbass, for God's sake. Like, that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. It usually is something nuclear that makes right. major events happen. Yep. Yeah, but that's not... I mean, it's amazing that that isn't told in the, in the Western media. It's, it's, it's just... I can't, I can't get my head around it because they're just a bunch of liars and ideo- ideologically possessed Westerners who, in the media who do not care at all about the truth. And will spin the truth in whatever way, and, and you know, come up with a lie basically, and propagate that as the truth, simply because it's their team, and they, you know, it's just it's kind of disgusting to me, anyway. But as a, maybe as a as a little, this is, do you know, um, Professor Jeffrey Sachs? Ah, uh-huh, yeah. He was the um, actually that's the wrong one. No, that is the right one. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs was. Um, let me just look him up here, just to get it, to get it right. Um, he's an American economist, um, academic public policy anal- analyst, and former director of the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Um, so he's basically about sustainable development, economic development, and an end to poverty. So he's a liberal, basically. But he's been quite outspoken about the, you know, he's basically been telling the truth about the on social media about the about the situation in Ukraine. And here he is, if you, if, let's just watch this. this it's kind of funny uh, at the end in particular. Um, he's at um, the Athens Democracy Forum, which is in, in cooperation or in association with the New York Times. And he's on a panel uh, with uh, a Swiss dude and a, I don't know, another a Polish guy, I think, uh, so Athens Democracy Forum, don't know what the actual topic of it was, but he's just holding forth here uh, on on current situation, America in particular. And it's moderated by Stephen Erlanger, who's chief diplomat- diplomatic correspondent in Europe for the New York Times. Have a listen. When I look at my own country, the United States, it is a semi-democratic, white-dominated, hierarchical, racist society that aims to preserve privilege by the elites. That's how it was formed in 1787. It was a slave-owning, genocidal country killing Native Americans for a white culture. But amazingly, it still looks that way, although we're much more diverse now than we were. So Let me ask you this, Jeff, because this is... I I, I want to point out that these are deep (laughs) cultural distinctions. Right. But we shouldn't just simplify because we say democracy and, and, you know, these are... Yes, it's important. What's important is actually the details. As I mentioned last night, Plato, uh, democracy, that was the last thing on his mind. Mm -hmm. That was the enemy, the, the 
plus was a philosopher king, of course, right. in, in the Republic. And for Aristotle, it was much more subtle and complex of a system of governance that mixed governance by the one, by the few, and by the many, but on the good side of the ledger. And one more point I want to make about democracy, because we're in a democracy forum where we, we treat democracy as the good. The most violent country in the world in the 19th century, by far, was perhaps the most democratic or second most democratic, and that was Britain. You can be democratic at home and ruthlessly imperial abroad. The most violent country in the world since 1950 has been the United States. It's Jeff, been by let's, far involved Jeffrey, in stop war, now. Let's, let's, Jeffrey, I'm, 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 Jeffrey, I'm your moderator, and it's enough. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> that, that's enough. So that's the... Uh, I will moderate how much democracy these people can handle. Jeffrey, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> shut up, Jeffrey. That's uh, the... Chief Diplomatic uh, Correspondent in Europe of the New York Times. Well, how surprising that he would uh, have a problem with America being characterized in such a truthful way. How they see their job. They're not the medium from the power to the people. Their job is to mediate the people from from keeping away from the power. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. You don't get the. We'll decide for Mm -hmm. you what's a fact, Mm -hmm. what's true, what a narrative is. Shut up. Mm. Yeah, that's what our job is. The the high, the high he priests. really sees his job that way. Yeah, they're the high priests. Uh, uh, you know, in the same way that priests are meant to be the intermediaries between the people and God, right? Right. Uh, the, the media is, are the intermediaries between the people and their their temporal overlords uh, in government. Um, yeah. So you're terrified about um, you're terrified, but you're terrorized this week by by a dirty bomb, right? I mean, terrorized. Yeah, by by the talk of of, uh, of a dirty bomb. This week, I was terrorized by an ant. Oh dear! Uh, courtesy of CNN. Check this out. A face only a mother could love. A terrifying photo shows what an ant looks like close up. Isn't that terrifying. Wow. So I looked at that, and, I, and this is CNN, and I love going to CNN. I don't. I hate going to CNN. I don't go to CNN, but uh, for some reason, I ended up seeing this and I was like oh that's interesting and you know obviously I it's probably in most shows I talk about just how much the media lies and twists and distorts the truth so I'm like is that really an ant really so I looked up it's actually you know I looked it up it's, it's, it, it won a competition or whatever and I looked up the guy's website who, who took, the, took the picture and it's actually um, yeah it's a carpenter ant uh, except it's not really a carpenter ant Except that's the way they're portraying it. This is a close-up of what a carpenter ant looks like. Just scroll down a bit. That's an ant. Now, that's yeah. not quite as terrifying. I was going to say, that not first quite, one doesn't look anything like an ant. Right. It's not quite terrifying, right? It's not quite as terrifying. It's not terrifying, really, at all. Everybody sees one. But that previous picture is like, oh, my God, it's stuff. It's, like, they say themselves, it's stuff of nightmares, right? So what the, what they did, actually, Zoomed was zoom away. in on those two, the two mandibles as if they're its eyes right. and just a bit, of, bit, so they just took out the center piece there below the eye, didn't include the eyes at all and said, here's a picture of an ant. Here's what an ant looks like close up. It's like, that's what part of an ant looks like close up. If you could find a part of any, any animal on, on, uh, in the world that had, that when, when taken in isolation looked like a scary face, 
You know, imagine you get a bit of an elephant zoomed in that I happened to just the folds of the skin looked like a scary ghostly face or something like that and said, look at what an elephant looks like up close. It's like, that's not what an elephant looks like and that that isn't what an ant looks like. I have a mole. The reason I'm saying that is because (laughs) you have a mole. If you saw it up close, you'd think I was one of the most hideous people on earth. Yeah, you're a monster. In fact, I'm beautiful. But you can can make anything look anything. Yeah, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because it just seemed like there was a convergence because at the time I was going, my God, like the media just has no morals whatsoever. They have no moral foundation. They have no conscience. The way that they lie about almost everything, flagrantly lie about stuff these days. And then I saw this and I went, oh, look, they're doing it even with like, you know. They even turned it upside down. Yeah, social interest, public interest, like just innocuous. Let's get away from the war for a minute and let's tell you something about nature. And then they lie to you about it. Yeah. Fucking CNN. Anyway, um, anthem for the clicks, I suppose. Um, I. uh, before we, in case we move on from it altogether, just a, a couple of other updates. You know, the Russian government formally declared martial law in those four new regions. So, um, yep. again, they haven't released any de- details, but reports on the ground say that those troops are starting to arrive. Whether they're among the 300,000 partially mobilized or, or professional soldiers. Mm. Um, so there, there's something, something's coming for sure in the South. Um, Another tidbit uh, typical of the whole war, really, is that the Yuki's targeted people crossing. The Antonovsky Bridge yeah. is out of commission right now because it was hit by HIMARS. So they're crossing in ferry nearby. They hit the ferry, right. killed four people, injured about 14 more, including children. And they knew. I mean, HIMARS is a high-precision uh, target finder. They knew what they were hitting. That yeah. just, for me, it sums up the whole fucking thing. Like, uh, high-precision weapons. So what do the Yuki's do with it? They kill, quote, their own people, although they don't see them as their right. own people. The civilians that the Russians are, those 60,000 that the Russians are progressively evacuating across the river to the, to the east, out of Kherson, basically. They, they hit the bridge one night when there was a few people on it, and a couple, one, person or two, a few, one person was killed, I think, and a few were injured. And then, like you said, they hit, they hit the ferry that they were using afterwards because afterwards, the bridge was not, not that it was necessarily damaged beyond repair, but it was it was, it was too it was too dangerous that they yeah. would do it again. So they tried to use a ferry and then they target a ferry. And these are this evacuating civilians out of a war zone, and the Ukrainian military is targeting targeting them. Well, you know. And I would add that HIMARS only works. Apparently, this is not the expert on this, but I'm hearing that HIMARS only works in anywhere close to the Russian-controlled portions of Ukraine, east and south, thanks to Elon Musk's Starlink. Right. Starlink is not just providing ordinary civilians back in Kiev with the ability to access their Instagram channels. Mm-hmm. It's providing HIMARS with the connectivity to do what it's doing. Of course, Elon Musk has been in the news recently as, you know, peace, seeking peace. I mean, is he not aware? If he, if he, is, if he is the best of us in the West at the high level mm. as a businessman, whatever, but trying to broker peace, is he not aware that he's directly... Involved in killing civilians, you know, uh, it just it just that He's kind murdered. of anecdotal thing just underscores how sick the entire cause for the West is in this. Mm-hmm. And you know, even when you're pro peace, you're actually it's a it's a very you know it's it's like it's like what uh, Sachs just explained there with democracy. Yeah, we have democracy, but there's a big asterisk next to it. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Anyway, the in other news, the Crimean Bridge is fully repaired and reopened. Mm-hmm. Like, that was what, two weeks, three weeks? No, between. it's not fully repaired, I don't think. No? No. Well, they've started running trains back across Yeah, tra- on the train lines, yeah. But the actual, they're still... Okay. The, the section that, that fell, that collapsed there, that's going to take November, sometime in November, I think. Um, what about... Um, isn't it funny? You're t- Go ahead. One last thing. You were talking about France earlier and, you know, its reluctant involvement in all this. Mm. So, yeah, France is like, you know, why on earth are we paying four times the price of gas to the Americans? Right. Their economy minister also elaborating on what Macron just said there by saying, you know, the outcome of this war cannot be that we've just switched from Russian dependence to American energy dependence. Um, clearly articulating that he sees that that's where it's going and he's unhappy about it. But then Macron is getting up there uh, on TV. It was televised in some format, announcing that France will train 2,000 Ukrainian soldiers on its soil. Yeah. We, do, we hate to do this. We hope for peace, blah, blah, blah. Here we are, not directly involved in the war by getting directly involved in the war. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting. It obviously doesn't make the connection. Just throw that one up there. It's just it's from Yahoo News. It's uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron slams US trade and energy policies for creating a double standard with Europe as resentment builds over the economic price the continent is paying over Russia's war in Ukraine. <laughs> oh, my God, there's so much in that statement. It's, like, so distorted and twisted. Like, you know, Europe is paying an economic price because of Russia's Russia. war in Ukraine, but that economic price is being imposed by America. Mm. And basically, Macron's gripe, and it was a public gripe, is that they're paying four times. France is being offered, uh, because it's, you know, France in league with the EU uh, at the behest of America, it seems, um, has cut itself off from, or is progressively cutting itself off, off from Russian gas and, and possibly oil, uh, and therefore is having to look for gas elsewhere. And it looks, one of the primary places it looks is America for to replace Russian cheap Russian gas. It has to look to America for Russian, uh, or American LNG, which is more expensive. Uh, so you expect to pay a lot more for it, which is why would you do that? You know, I'm going to cut off my cheap uh, supplier and, and look for a more expensive one because... Um, democracy and uh, because freedom is free joe because freedom and um but even so he's complaining that even though lng is much more expensive than russian gas cheaper russian gas for example america is charging france four times the price that it sells it in the u.s domestic domestic u.s and other even possibly even other markets. and two other markets no. well of course and you can you can t- hit you can specify whatever price you want for your product, and especially if you've got a kind of captive uh, audience in a certain sense or, or uh, customers who are really desperate, who don't have many other options, well, then you're definitely going to put the price up. Yeah. But it's not very friendly. It's crazy. I thought we're all in it together. Yeah, I yeah. thought America, it's obviously this whole situation with cutting Europe off from Russian gas or from dependence on Russian energy is primarily a U.S.-inspired uh, uh, program or plot or idea or plan. Um, but so in that case, you think America would say, listen, Europe, I don't want to lose you to Russia. And it's already happened to a certain extent. And I want to stop that. I want to backtrack on that and keep you in the fold. And you have to really stop relying on Russian gas to do that because 
that creates economic ties and cultural ties and you know political ties. And it's really bad, and I could lose out big time here if you were to go eastwards, basically. So you need to stop. We need to get together, and you all need to stop buying Russian gas. But let me assure you that I will do my best to supplement the shortfall or you know, to provide what's needed for when you do this, for me ultimately, for America, because you're doing it for America. You're cutting, you're cutting off your nose to, uh, in order to help America to you know, give me what I need and what I want, which is you know, my existential desire to remain a global hegemon forever. Anyway, um, but that's not what happens. They go, okay, now that you're in desperate need of gas, you're going to pay four times the price that we sell, we sell it at, uh, at home in America. Uh, but what's really amazing to me at, uh, in that situation is how the French, and obviously this is happening with other European countries, just suck that up and still think we have a special relationship with America, still think they're our friends. Do you imagine? I mean, mm. you know, put that situation, take it down into, you know, a, a, a everyday life situation, you know what I mean? Where your best friend asks you to, like, buy my product, I've just started up a business, will you buy my product uh, and, and stop buying it? Okay, it's going to be a bit more expensive, but will you buy it for me? Because we're buddies, we're lifelong buddies, you know what I mean? So would you just help me out by being one of my customers, you know? Okay, I'll cut myself off from my cheaper customer and buy yours. And he said, okay, now you're going to pay a 400% increase in the price. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm going to ruin you financially by demanding that you pay uh, me four, four times the market price for it. It's like... Yeah. What would you do? To, I mean, it, it, it's pathological. There's something wrong with there's those There's something people. wrong. Yeah, yeah. But but it's, it speaks to um, the extent to which it's the U.S. has yeah the leverage. Europe in a hole. Yeah, it's not it's um, not about friends. It's about blackmail. It's about threats. It's about do it or else. Basically, it, it, it's not it, about friendship. Yeah, there is, I think, an economic calculus that goes on, but most of it's kind of like an iceberg. It's below the surface of the water. I think Shoigu alluded to it uh, recently when he explained that um, part of the problem we have with doing this operation in Ukraine is that we're up against a NATO system. And he says, it's not a, then he stopped and he clarified it, but it's also the collective West. So he made a distinction. And so he tried to explain that, for example, <clears throat> in the skies above our heads, what they have on their side in their arsenal, among their arsenal are 200 satellites. And he said that's in addition to the 70 military satellites explicitly for, for wargaming and drilling and, and military communications and, internet and targeting systems and so on. He meant the 200 military, the civilian satellites that are multi-use can be engaged and come online. Mm-hmm. And they're satellites that in European communications depend on. And that, then there's other levels of it too. Um, obviously, there's the, the issue with finance and the dollar and so on and the euro, uh, euro's fate being closely tied to the dollars. But then there's another level no one's even brought up. You remember about just before, I think, Snowden and then Snowden's revelations, NSA leaks, kind of propelled it in the news for a while. But I remember just before, there were a whole string of reports, like 2011, 12, 13, um, about strange Trojan viruses being found in critical computer systems mm. from Poland to Germany to Japan. Mm. And, all, and they're, they're like, Medical what services. the hell is this? And then they investigated a bit and they thought, Jesus, th- this thing could knock out. It kind of behaved a bit like the, the Stuxnet thing mm-hmm. that the Israelis targeted the Iranian critical infrastructure system with. 
but that these things were just sitting there latent. Waiting to... Waiting, and then there was, they were discussed a bit at the time, and, you know, unnamed sources said, it's, this smacks of industrial sabotage. Mm-hmm. There are viruses in our systems that, you know, could be activated, could be used against us if... If we don't play along. At any time. And then Snowden, one of the Snowden leaks had an explicit scenario, I think, where the leak was a kind of a PowerPoint presentation. I couldn't find it in time for the show. But it specifically was um, a, a game they'd set up where in Japan, the Trojan viruses would be used in the event that Japan didn't play ball about something geopolitically. Mm-hmm. They could knock out all their hospitals, would go in the dark mm-hmm. overnight. You know, and whatever goes on, they either let them know in some way that this is possible mm-hmm. or they test it. And then leave a signature, mm-hmm. and then the intelligence services of our friendly countries figure it out, and they go, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Well, now Merkel or whoever the leader is at the time meets Obama or whoever, and it's all this has all been communicated mm-hmm. ahead of the meeting. So at the meeting, well, communicated, understood by the intelligence agencies, yeah. and communicated up or not down in a certain sense to the government, and the government then knows what it has to do, which is play along. Whatever play America along. wants, America, you say yes, sir, you know, when they say yes, jump, sir, you three, say how high. Three bags full, sir. Yeah. On, so, on the American mission, whatever it is trying to achieve here, you, you joked that it was just to uphold America's, what did you say? Don't know. Hegemony, basically. Hegemony. General of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, this week. On General, America, General Armageddon. America's General Armageddon on Ukraine and why Ukraine. What the hell? Here he has an explanation for the people as to why Ukraine. This fight is not just in Ukraine's interest. It is in the global interest to protect, as the Secretary pointed out, the rules-based international order. And that is our purpose that has been given to us, the uniform military from our civilian leadership, which is to uphold the rules-based international order that was established some 80 years ago at the conclusion mm. of World War II. Mm. Boom. Pax Americana. Yeah. World War II. Our rules. Our rules. We set the rules in 1944-45. You follow them. And that, uh, maybe, maybe now's the time for Well, there was, a little, there was a little book I was just reading. It's not a very long book. It's maybe 200 pages or something. It's called... Uh, it's called... Um, Put the camera on me, will you? It's called National Security and Double Government and Double Government, and it's by a guy called Michael J. Glennon. And I haven't read very much. There's only not many pages, but I got the general gist of it. Basically, he's saying that uh, in the in the aftermath, right after Second World War, Truman government, uh, there was a switch over to group. Truman basically set up the CIA and mostly under Truman, the CIA. He didn't set them up. Harry didn't, didn't have much to do with it. Didn't really that. set them up. The uh, White House doesn't do much, didn't, hasn't done much since then, with the exception maybe of Kennedy. The and, Dulles and brothers, probably. Right. Set up intelligence, CIA, NSA, NSC, BA, blah, 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 all the ones that were set up then. And they were set up basically as a. They, they're called, in general parlance, they're called, uh, among historians, they're called the efficient government as compared to the kind of honourable or noble government, which is the idea of, you know, in, in the UK it was the, the, the honourable or noble government was the, the king, right? Um, and then after that, um, well, the king and parliament, let's say, so 
absolute power rested with the king or the, or the monarchy, and then you his kind of the people who uh, fulfilled his orders were were the government uh, in the UK, the Parliament, um, <clears throat> and, and the various branches. Um, in the US, no monarch, obviously, but uh, you know the White House, the judiciary, the legislature, the Congress. Um, that, that, that's noble government, right? But the problem is that it's very inefficient. It's it doesn't it doesn't work very efficiently. It doesn't get the job done as quickly as possible. So it was, and especially in light of the reason it occurred, supposedly, with the Truman government was because uh, of um, the Cold War, the Soviets, the the war for democracy and freedom and capitalism, whatever. Um, so they set this up as a, a part, or was set up. They didn't set it up again. The, the noble government didn't set it up. It was set up by people, persons unknown, basically, who set it up themselves, effectively, and was just you know signed off on by the uh, by, by the administration to to be much more efficient in terms of running government uh, because it was understood that those traditional branches of government weren't very good at actually running the country. So we need a separate lay, if you want, uh, administration. Uh, Primarily, a permanent administration, right? A permanent, unelected uh, bureaucrat, bureaucrats, basically, and an intel type people who um, who, would, who would do things much more efficiently and would so it switched around rather than them, um, the government, the traditional government, um, you know, making taking decisions and then having other people enact them for them. It was the other way around. Basically, they just signed off on stuff that they, this, and again, that's become well, that's become. In, in, in more recent years, it's the secret government, right? Or it's the deep state, or it's the Washington establishment, right? Mm. There's just the and is that explicitly understood that it would be the other way around? That it would be the NSE, the National Security Council. That's where it that happened. Would bring the decisions to the White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they just sign off on it. The White House is at this point certainly it's just ceremonial in a certain sense. It's public relations. The White House is public relations. Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes into a few, a few different things, but there's a couple of quotes that I've just that I got to at this point in it. Um, so this is, uh, let me see. Um, well, there's one about about. Uh, he says, well, um, he talks about uh, about policy making and, and and what policies are pursued, what policies are made and pursued uh, by these people by this kind of parallel government essentially said whether the policy is in reality the most effective is beside the point so it doesn't necessarily have to be effective it's not really you know foreign policy domestic policy but particularly foreign policy it's not about it being effective or having any you know point or or, or rational point or logical point Uh, it's the appearance that matters and in appearance the policy must seem hard-hitting and that that reality permeates permeates national security policy making so again national security state is another term for this grouping of unelected career intel type people who effectively run the show behind the scenes and have done for a long time, have done really since since the end of the Second World War, as Millie was just yeah. mentioning. They created the rules-based order. They're the ones who are, who are enforcing the rules-based order. Uh, and then... So there's another... Um, this is... This, he quotes uh, Bob Woodward, um, who was at a meeting with Obama... And they said uh, Obama sat down with 18 top advisors. Again, these are people who are known as advisors uh, for the second meeting of the Afghan-Pakistan strategy review. Uh, 
And Obama says, is there anybody who thinks we ought to leave Afghanistan? Everyone in the room was quiet. They looked at him. No one said anything. The incident was unexceptional. Uh, and this is Bob Woodward then says, the dirty little secret here, or sorry, the dirty little secret here, a former associate counsel in the Bush White House called Brad Berenson explained, is that the United States government has enduring institutional interests that carry over from administration to administration and almost always dictate the position of the government takes. So again, uh, enduring institutional interests, interests of who, interests formed by who, that carry over from administration to administration. Administration doesn't make any difference. Yeah, well, we heard um, Jeffrey Sachs earlier say that this is the enduring institutional interest of a privileged flu- few. Right. Usually white, not necessarily, though. Right. And then Neil Sheehan, um, who was a, is a Pulitzer, was a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, Washington Times journalist, um, who he got hold of, or he published the Pentagon Papers about the Vietnam War. Mm. Um, a, friend, a colleague of his, um, also at the Times, recalled that he... Um, he came away from that whole situation with the Pentagon Papers with one impression, and it was that the government of the United States was not what, we, what he had thought it was. It was as if there was an inner U.S. government, what he called a centralized state, far more powerful than anything else. It had survived and perpetuated itself. It does not function necessarily for the benefit of the republic, but rather for its own ends, its own perpetuation. It has its own codes, which are quite different from public codes. So um, effectively, a Politburo that they know hmm. should not be, or they, for some reason, yeah, well, well, for freedom and democracy reasons, they must keep secret. Secrecy helps them, of course, to get their efficient running of things done. But it, it speaks to the, the kind of awareness they have that in the West we can't do what they do over there in China or in Soviet Russia, where. There's the Politburo, and it's explicit. They're known. Right. They publicly meet. They, there's, nothing, there's no Politburo behind the Politburo in China. There might be informal cliques. I'm sure there are. There are factions fighting right. for this and that. But this is, this is a whole <clears throat> other – this is a formally institutionalized subset, yeah. a.k.a. Politburo in the United States. Yeah. Well, we don't do that. We're, we're not communists, but it's, it's ultra-communist. It couldn't be like you, the, the, the term he used as a centralized state, mm-hmm. heavily centralized. And it's so obviously it's, it's more than that as well. It's also imperial. That was a, a, a sneaky twist they gave in calling it things like the national security state, mm-hmm. the national security council. The more honest and more frank designation back in 1945-47 when they built this, along with literally when they built the Pentagon, right. would have been the imperial security state right for them there's no borders the world is it's all one mm-hmm. and so 800 bases some of them tiny but still 800 bases around the world speaks to and, and an administration and a system to manage it's a global system they, right. do, they do not it doesn't end at u.s borders and it hasn't for eight years and they've managed convincingly until recently to fool most of the people mm-hmm. americans yeah. Westerners, anyone, yeah. that it's to, here come the Americans. What do you mean here come the Americans? They've been here mm-hmm. all over the world yeah. since 1945. It's a, it, 
it has perpetuated itself and it does not function necessarily for the benefit of the republic, benefit of the republic, but rather for its own ends, its own perpetuation. And th- this kind of a national, if it's called the national security state, and it is very much focused on security, and that's the way the whole mind works, right? I mean, it was born, let's say, of the Second World War or of the the the, the Cold War, Second World War, and the Cold War, uh, and it was all about threats and protecting and. But really about dominating, about about controlling the world. Of course, that, that's apparent. That's that would be the other dirty little secret. It's not about protecting America. It's about expanding America's influence and expanding America's control around the world. And in order to do that, you use the foil of threats, right? Because if there's no threat, we can just stay at home, right? But if there's threats, we got to go out there and meet those threats, which is a foil for expanding American control, hegemony, and perpetuating that over the whole world, uh, the rules-based order. So um, I think you got it right the first time. This was born in the Second World War. Yeah, in the Second Not World War. The Cold, the Cold War was ginned up to make sure that the threats continued. Yeah. Towards 1944, they're like, here come the Russians. We're moving across Belgium and the Ardennes. Shit, the threat is about to end. Mm. So how do we keep it going? Mm-hmm. So, But that's what it's always been about, and that leads right into the war on terror um, yeah. and, 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 and Ukraine today. Uh, and Russia, Russia is the, Russia. Is, well, Russia was the old threat. Russia is the new threat. Uh, China is the threat. You mentioned China and the Politburo, or not? Well, you mentioned Russia and the Politburo, and, but the Chinese. Um, oh yeah, did you see what happened in Beijing this week, Joe? Well, Jesus, Jesus Christ! Again, the all, power grab. All I get. It was a power grab. I'm just, I'm just inundated. I'm overwhelmed with bullshit from the supposedly objective mainstream media, Western media that is meant is tasked with. Telling people what's happening, what's going on, like from ants, what they look like, to what's going on in Ukraine, to what's going on in China. And this week in China, according to the Telegraph, there's a photo, there's a video as well, but there's, according to them, there's a photo, because photos are better, because photo you can just encapsulate one moment. In the same way you can take a photo of an ant, or one part of an ant, and portray it as a whole ant, you can take one photo of, of, of an event, for which there's a video, but don't bother with the video, just watch the photo, because that's better for manipulating uh, people's people's perception, the photo that shows the utter ruthlessness of Xi Jinping's quest for absolute power. So this is in the context of absolute power. So this is in the context of a week-long congress uh, in China designed to elect a new administration, let's call it an administration, to elect a new government, let's say. Uh, a new shadowy secret government oh, that's actually all over the news yeah. or whatever. Anyway, so this guy... Uh, so the picture here shows Xi Jinping, you can see him there, having a good laugh at the fact that his predecessor, Xi uh, Jinping, is being ruthlessly, brutally, unceremoniously dragged out of the Congress on the last day almost. Uh, I think it is the last day. Um, because, well, because China. Because whatever. Uh, but of course, the, Because he's a dictator. <laughs> yeah, because he's ruthless and evil. But of course... And all over Twitter, people were doing the same thing. So I thought, I first saw it on Twitter, and I thought, this is, I mean, Twitter's, people on Twitter are stupid, right? Generally, just most of them are very, very stupid. They just, they're like squir- they're like, you know, Pavlovian dogs, basically. Whatever they want to see, they see, and then they talk about it. But I thought, let me look in the media and see if there's a bit more sober assessment. And I got exactly the same <laughs> assessment in the, in the Western media. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, and I, I looked at it, and I looked at the video, and... I uh, have, do you have... Uh, I think this is it, yeah. Uh, so, and just the lack of 
journalistic integrity, conscious, conscience, morality, whatever. Just do your uh, – sorry, is that the wrong one? Maybe I gave the wrong one. Do you want to show the first – no, there it is. There yeah. it is, yeah. Cold-blooded. This is the cold-blooded removal of the former... In front of the world's media, FYI. Look at him being dragged out there with a scruff of his neck. It's brutal. This is obviously a message from Xi Jinping to the world that he now controls the past because Hu Jintao was his predecessor. And what did Orwell say? Who, he who controls the past controls the future. So Xi Jinping is telling us all here through his brutal actions that he controls the future. Look at that. The poor man's trying to plead his case democratically and Xi Jinping just communistically just doesn't even look back at him. And his his thugs, his thugs drag him out. Look at that. Along the floor, kicking and screaming. (laughs) Look at that. It's terrible. The brutality. So so authoritarian, so Asiatic, so, 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 so communist, so, so, etc., etc. You can see 11.3 million views. Right. You can see my Westerners com- love this shit. You can see my comment on underneath there to that person anyway. Why would you or anyone not assume that this 80-year-old man was having some kind of medical issue and was removed for that reason? Uh, of course. Shut up, China Tell- lover. And it's like because <laughs> if he was, they would have been concerned. Yeah, well, that's the kind of shit you get on Twitter, Scotty. Don't go there. Uh but that's uh, yeah the IQ. They like, didn't look unconcerned. Right? No, they weren't manhandling him. They were. They were dragging him out by the scruff of the neck and beating him. Here's he what went. they. Oh, I missed that part. So here's what they didn't show you. Right. Go ahead. This is the same day. At the beginning, before they were all seated, the great man comes in. Cameras. And that behind him is Hu Jintao. Oh my God! They they dragged him they in. Dragged they dragged him, him into, into the and then they dragged him out. And look at Hu Jintao he, putting a hand on his back and asking him to sit. He didn't he, even he was want probably to be holding there. a gun. Yeah, he probably has a gun. If yeah. you look closely at that picture, he's got a gun in his hand, or he's got like a it's like a, a like a little pen with a needle in it, and it's like a slow acting poison. That so he's the obvious conclusion from this is that Hu Jintao didn't want to be there. But Xi Jinping forced him yeah. to uphold, you know, the continuity of the regime and thus his authority and moral order mm. by having Hu Jintao dragged into the event. Yeah. Then, obviously, what happened was Hu Jintao started babbling something democratic that sitting next to Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping didn't like the sound of, so he clicked his fingers and his thugs came and dragged him back out again. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the amazing thing is, uh, you're blaming the media... Uh, I saw this all over Twitter before I saw anything on the news. I think people, without being, needing to be primed by the media, the media looked at that and, and right, the media is probably repeating back, back to the Vox. The Vox Populi is already so brainwashed mm. when, when it comes to China especially that 
that's what they do. They immediately leap to like crisis actors land. And they have done this for years. Remember how COVID started? Now they were helped. They were helped by Chinese dis- dissidents in the West, like the uh, Epoch Times and people like that. People who are fervently anti CCP. They were obviously going around collecting, um, p- picking up on the fear that was already spreading in China organically, so to speak, and finding any social media posts that were like showing clips from CCTV. Um, yeah. whatever kind of footage they could get of people fainting, mm-hmm. wearing masks and stuff, yep. and spreading them in the West. And they got amplified and amplified in the West. And they went, oh my God, China's hiding something from us. Look at this. There's devastation. There's a black death in China. And they're not telling the truth about the plague that is the COVID. So, and they didn't really need much. There wasn't an expensive media NATO infowar campaign to get that going. Westerners... For some set of reasons, a whole, whole slew of them we could get into, organically went there. They well, went they got, they got a lot of stuff from their own media at the, the beginning. Here, have, when, it hit, when it hit in Italy and stuff, yeah, people were freaked out big time by it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but that all was happening concurrently with what was happening in Europe because it happened over just a couple of weeks, you know what I mean? So it all happened very quickly, but they were like, I mean, like we talked about that before, you know. Um, about why, I mean, the, the first things out of Italy in terms of COVID were, were that the military was coming in to remove bodies right, uh, from hospitals. Now, that to me was obviously, that, that, that was a, a bio-warfare um, operation that was put into, put in, put into action um, because the, the government itself decided that, or, or the word on the street, let's say, among governments, what the, was the, that this was a bioengineered uh, virus made in a lab somewhere and therefore could be really deadly. We don't know the effects now. We don't know, know the effects yet. So uh, let's just you know, activate uh, chemical or biowarfare uh, protocols. Um, and that just freaked everybody out. So governments at the start were freaked out to a large extent themselves. A lot of governments were freaked out and that passed down to the media and the public and all that kind of stuff. But then when it all calmed down or should have calmed down and people should have realised, oh, this isn't really that serious as for, you know, for the reasons we've explained many, many times before, um, they didn't calm down. They kept it going. Um, but anyway, on on Huge Intel, there's a video I just sent you there, Scotty, of him coming in again later. So this is so he was brought in, brought out, dra- sorry, dragged in, dragged out, and then must have been dragged back in again to vote because here he is voting. This was on the last day. This was yesterday on the last day, or was it yesterday or the day before? Uh, on the last day of the Congress when voting was meant to be happening, and there's Xi, Xi, Xi Jinping voting, and. Um, there, uh, and Hu Jintao then comes up and votes as well. So he was actually allowed to vote. <coughs> forced to vote, Joe. Forced Sorry, forced to vote. vote. At gunpoint. There are a bunch of people voting. I think he's at the beginning, actually. Where, no, where is he? There he is, the second one. He was the second one voting. So um, All of this circus is how Western media, Western population is informed, in quotes, about the fact, simply, that Xi Jinping has been re-elected for a third term in China. And just try not to choke. Yes, China has elections of a form. Not popular franchise, but it is a form of election. So that, now you're informed. You're, you now know that Xi Jinping is entering his third term as president, chairman, whatever they call third, it, yep. of China. But you know it. In, in such a way that you know that it's a bad thing. doesn't matter what you know about what's going on. All you know is you've been informed. You can move on to, you know, 
mm-hmm. Dancing with the Stars now. But you, you know all you need to know this week. China has a dictator who has ruthlessly grabbed power. Mm-hmm. Moving on, here's the weather. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, and what about uh, Iran protests? Isn't it strange how you know? I can't, I can't. It's pretty serious. It's is it more serious than two thousand nine? People were shot in the head then by mystery snipers. I think I remember it lasting less long than this. This is a month now. Well, all you need to know about what's going on in Iran is look what's happening in America. And what's happening in America is that one is a mirror image of the other. Amer- no, in no. in. In Berlin, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles, um, on Saturday, which is yesterday, in a show of international support, uh, international support, Berlin, Washington, D.C., and L.A. is international support for demonstrators facing a violent government crackdown in Iran sparked by the death of 22-year-old Masha Amini in the custody of, country's moral, in the custody of the country's morality police. So if you, I don't know if you've been following this, but there's video of this girl actually just um, collapsing. She just collapsed all her own. Um, so it's it's one of those things where they just pick on one one thing, one event. They're just waiting for one event, and then they take that and amplify it. And there's NGOs or different groups within the country. Well, uh, it has a bit more meat to it, supposedly. The claim supposedly. is that she had been roughed up previously during her arrest, right? And the CCTV footage shows her. Um, a, Afterwards, maybe the same day, maybe later, um, entering this place where she was sent to to get a lecture on wearing the head mm-hmm. scarf and so on, mm-hmm. and how to behave, how to conduct herself in public. Yeah, she's obviously nervous or sick or something because she faints mm-hmm. on the floor and dies mm-hmm. from something. Right, it has shades of China as well. Someone faints and dies. Tragic, yeah. I know, but but suddenly protests. You can ignite a whole sequence of events. Right, that's how color, color revolutions are made, right? And of course, you know, according to this uh, outlet, probably got it from CNN or something. You know, sparks they're sparking solidarity rallies in the US and Europe, just like uh, for Ukraine. You know, all those all those solidarity rallies around the world for Ukraine as well. Uh, yeah, right. Um, on the US National Mall, thousands of women and men of all ages wearing green, white, and red. The colours of the Iran flag shouted in rhythm. Be sacred, be sacred. We are one in this. Say her name, Masha. Say his name, George Floyd. Say his name. Oh, yeah. Whoever. BLM. Say their name. Um, it has the same. There's a pattern of. to it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, I mean, if people don't understand why this is happening, and it's, you know, uh, okay, it's understandable. They don't pay attention. They haven't been keeping up. They haven't been doing any research. They haven't looked at the world as objectively as possible over the past 20, 30 years, whatever. But uh, the fact of the matter is this has happened multiple times in multiple countries and it's nearly always been, in one way or another, inspired by Western NGO-type organizations. It's happened in Russia, it's happened in Syria, it's happened in Libya, it's happened in, happened, in, happened in Egypt, it's happened in Iran. And that's not to say that there isn't some kind of grassroots, there always is some kind of a grassroots uh, group or movement within the country who want a certain thing, who want more freedom, who want the removal of the government, who want who, this or that, but they don't represent the entire country for no, the most part. they have just grievances, I suppose. Yes. In an ideal world, you, you would... You see, this is the, the Westerner's kind of... The oak tree sized moat in his eye, you know. He would like to be an impartial observer, to be looking at Iran and going, that's fair, that's unfair. I can understand that. 
So you look at it and you go, there's no need to be so brutal about what someone wears, for God's mm-hmm. sake. On the surface, like, us, the left, all agree with that. You know, really, that's, that's, that's heavy-handed. At the same time, you need to hold in your head the reality of how Iran's internal situation is exploited by foreign powers, not least Israel and the United States, who would fervently love to see Iran knocked down a peg or two through bloody revolution, which they've done twice already in the last 80 years um, since the glorious beginning of the Pax Americana, Millie just described. So the Iranian leadership of whatever faction or type, most of them, yes, are conservative types, but there's a Marxist lefty. Mm-hmm. They wear the thing too, but mm-hmm. they speak like Marxists in mm-hmm. Iran as well. Um, the problem is that they that, would too would love to see the country liberalized a bit. Of course, but how the, do you do that in a climate where where, where where America is the wolf at the door and it's had some part in this latest uh, uprising of, of protests against the government or against whatever? Where it immediately sends weapons in, right? Through its NGO networks, so Iran has been arresting Westerners, by the way, and I doubt just on faulty charges of, right. you know, you're you're talking things into the the ears of our youth. I'd yeah. say it's more substantial. They have claimed that, that they've made arrests with weapons being smuggled in. Yeah, the sad thing is that left in, in a different world where America wasn't this predatory kind of wolf at the door waiting to and actually you know fomenting kind of unrest in different countries, and and if that wasn't well known. Or if it didn't exist, and obviously the fact that it does exist means it's well known by governments. The sad thing is that governments, like in the government of, uh, in Iran, they cannot give in to these protests because they know that they're infected with uh, American political agenda yeah. or agendas. Yeah. Uh, if, that w- if that didn't exist, there would be a much greater chance that if it was a truly an organic inside Iran with no outside influence, influence and no potential no threat of outside influence on those protests, those kind of protests would have much more chance of uh, getting the government to move a little bit yeah. on it. But they yeah. won't move because they know, they, ha- they have to assume that this is not a legitimate, genuine protest. And if we give in to it, then it's not just going to stop at remove the hijab or remove the scarfs or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. It's going to go much further. So uh, it's actually America's fault. America is actually thwarting in that sense and, and preventing it's getting in its own change, way. democratic change in these countries that yeah. it claims it wants by, by, by playing the role that it plays. It's actually stopping it from happening. Yeah. If America was the shining city on a hill it imagines itself to be, you would, over the course of modernity, the last hundred years, have had the progression towards secularization and liberalization. Around the world, yeah. There would have been the example to live by of it's the combined success of uh, socioeconomic liber- liberalism and economic, yeah, both mm. on both social and economic front. And everyone would have followed, and everyone did. Everyone tried it. Mossadegh was a Democrat mm. in 1953. And he- Roosevelt, cousin of a former president, Roosevelt, organized a coup that brought in a hardline mm. right-wing monarch, the right. Shah. Right. When he went a bit wobbly, mm. they said, "Yeah, let's bring let's bring in." These Muslim nutters, mm-hmm. in quotes, as they saw, they themselves saw them at the time. That'll be perfect. They, they help facilitate this shift to the right. Saudi Arabia, they 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 were going liberal, but there's lots of photos in the sixties and seventies. Saudi Arabian women driving, mm-hmm. um, wearing trousers, no hijab. Mm-hmm. That was happening organically. Mm-hmm. The shining city on the hill effect had some real effect back then. JFK and Camelot and mm-hmm. good influence. 
the, the guy who led the, no, the Vietnamese rebellion, mm-hmm. North Vietnamese, um, Ho Chi Minh, mm-hmm. wrote out his uh, Declaration of Independence for Vietnam from French colonialism following word, almost line for line the U.S. Declaration of Independence. They did look up to the West. Mm-hmm. It, that really did happen at one point. Mm-hmm. But America got in its own way and mucked it up all over the place. By design, because they don't want countries to be genuinely free, free independent, independent, free, democratic, and most importantly, independent. They don't really want them to be. They can be free and democratic as long as they're beholden to America. If they're independent... That's a no-no. And would yeah. rather you live under a totalitarian regime than be actually independent, especially if you're a country that is strategically important for America, for, you know, quote-unquote strategically important. You have stuff we want. You're in a place that we want to be, etc., etc. It's about control, and that's how America has ruled. That's how it established the rules-based international order, and that's how it, uh, that's how it rules the world, through control, coercion, manipulation, threats, and very often outright bludgeoning yeah uh, but there's one last thing for well, before we just on that topic just throw one up there Scotty um, again from Sputnik you may not have seen Sputnik in a while depending on where you live but uh, this is Orban Hungary US poured millions into Hungarian opposition trying to topple Orban so um this is, well, it's prefix Moscow, so yes. the Russian government... The Russian foreign ministry spokeswoman Zakharova stated that Washington had fueled the movement against Hungarian Prime Minister Orban since the US doesn't consider the country obedient enough. Uh, she says, now it turns out... And this, it's, she's reporting it, but she says, it turns out that the opposition in Budapest was also financed. The Hungarian newspaper, Magyar Nemzet, published an investigation into the funding of the liberal-left coalition of the opponents of Orban by an American NGO called Action for Democracy. The investigators and special services will probe all circumstances of the attempts of foreign meddling in the political life of the country, but it is already obvious that the bill approaches millions of dollars. So there's a report um, yeah. about that about that American quote-unquote NGO. You know, wonderful NGOs that go into other countries and just try to be really, you know, spread freedom and democracy and stuff. They're the, they're the, the, the vehicles through which countries, governments are overthrown, which is what happened in Ukraine, actually, which has caused, you know, which has led to what we're, the situation we're in today. That's, that's why Karibko calls them gongos, mm. government-organized, non-governmental organizations. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, but the interesting thing is what do they get as a result well, of trying to do this? They get a, a so-called right-wing authoritarian government in or- Orban's government that they've gone as, as far as they can go to calling him a dictator without explicitly saying it, although I think what they call him, uh, that wobbly-headed uh, Lush uh, in the EU actually greeted him. Remember, what was it? What that's what's, uh, is he Juncker. Right? Juncker. No, he's retired. Juncker retired. <clears throat> but pissed, pissed, pissed as a fart. Yeah, every day. But he... Um, he is caught on tapes uh, welcoming Orban in there yeah. a few years ago yeah. to, to some EU to meeting or something. And said, ah, the dictator. Yeah. So they jokingly call him the dictator, uh, although in the media it's not, it's not, it's not uh, done in a joking way. It's like Orban is pretty much, you know, new Mussolini, you know. Um, so uh, that's what they get, you know. They, they, and they shoot themselves in the foot because Orban isn't explicitly pro-America. Leader, he yeah. flew into the United States recently. Right, pro, pro Republican. Neil. That's not America. The, the, America's the thing liberal. is, there's two. There's two Americas. Like there's two of everything. 
He flew into me, Trump in Mar-a-Lago. He mm. bypassed Washington. He didn't. He, there was no state welcome with mm. Biden. He bypassed. He went straight to Mar-a-Lago. Who then Trump took him to a CPAC event in Texas. <laughs> but still, ideologically, he is. I'm all for the America that I remember growing up as a kid. For me, in in Soviet Hungary, the U.S. was shining city on the hill. I'm still that. Mm-hmm. They. They, the globalist lefties, will, will try to paint me as a dictator in authority. I don't give a shit. I'm still looking to the U.S., that old version of it. I hope I'm – well, I'm pretty sure he's smarter than that, that he knows that um, that's gone now. <clears throat> or at least it's an idea that potentially can come back. It tried to make a comeback with Trump, mm. but it's probably uh, – with Trump gone, it's probably a nail in the coffin to, to that version of America taking power again. Mm. Um, still, he's articulating um, what can be still. Yeah. You know, what was and what can be still. And, yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah, well, on Iran, well, there's one, yeah. It's a leap, perhaps. It's not really, it's, it's not re- probably the best defense for for not agitating on behalf of the protesters in Iran. But given the global situation, when you see LGBT-type protests and the progress they've made, Mm. such that in places like Peru, they're screaming for transgender rights. Mm -hmm. Iran, too, if if you're a mullah, if you're thinking, if I open the floodgates here, am I going to welcome in, okay, you don't have to wear the hijab, but we'll still have decently well-behaved people. Mm. There won't be increase in promiscuity. There mm. won't be single mothers all morality. over the place, and it won't go just go to pot. Mm-hmm. Or is he thinking, no, there is no middle ground right. anymore. I'm looking yeah. at what's going on, not just in the West, but all around the world. There's no middle ground here. And it, it actually enforces in him it's usually a him, I guess. No, we have to keep a lid on this mm-hmm. um, for their own sake because they're about to welcome in far more than just, you know, yeah. liberalism 1950s mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. They're going to get liberalism 2022. What part of it? Like we, we, we had a, someone last night who's an Iranian living in America and was complaining mm. about that situation that he's having trouble explaining to his family members. His family members are all about pro-Iranian protests and, and, and change of regime in Iran and he's trying to explain stuff to them and he doesn't get it and he's wondering if, there, if there's anything the Iranian government could, could do, you know, to kind of give a little bit. But like you just explained why they probably are very reluctant to do that because there's no middle ground. You don't give a little bit. You, you, you have to open the floodgates and you get it all basically one way or the other. Or that's a distinct possibility. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, forgot what I was going to say. For someone like that, it, it's I understand this situation, but he 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 will have to do what we have to do as well, which is holding their head that two, two opposing ideas, that ideals. Well, what do you have yes, to, what, Iran would ideally be less bloody strict about what people yeah. wear. I think what his what that the average Iranian American who's Support, in support of emigrants. There there's large numbers <clears throat> right. in Europe and elsewhere. In support yeah. of the, these protests, what they don't understand is that America, because they're basically lobbying for some level of the freedom they, they've enjoyed having come from Iran, let's say, yeah. and, en- and enjoying the freedoms in America that they wouldn't enjoy in Iran, um, at least in this particular area of you know religious freedoms or whatever, or clothing, 
what they don't understand is that America doesn't export what they have there. That's not what America exports to these countries, particularly countries like Iran. To the extent that America or American or Western Western influences are involved in these protests in Iran in one way or another, they're not trying to make a little mini-America in Iran. They're doing it for much more nefarious reasons, and the Iranian leadership knows that, and that's why they're not accepting this supposed gift. And people in uh, Iranian Americans or people supportive of these in the West don't understand that. Yeah, they assume that this is what we are exporting: freedom and democracy. Right. Another example. The lie. Another example is Afghanistan. Right. Afghanistan before 1979 had women in government wearing trousers, yeah. wearing their hair, however so they saw fit. They had like you know 18, 90 percent female participation in all levels of education, up to including university level. And then it was destroyed. Was it the Russians who destroyed that? It was the Saudis in part, but we all know it was Brzezinski, an American liberal Democrat, who did that. He doesn't give a shit that Iran is enjoying the fruits of Western liberalism or not. He cares about stirring a a few stirred-up Muslims who can set off a, quote, arc of crisis across the entire Muslim world, which will, quote, keep the Russians at bay. Mm -hmm. Right. And... That's why you can never just have a culture war conversation. It's never just about the culture war. It's about geopolitics, power, Pax Americana. And most of the left and right, when they're bickering about these issues as they come and go on Twitter, mm-hmm. are missing. Because of that giant, like I said, oak-sized moat in their eye, they're missing the global picture. But that's by design. They, they, it, it's in part, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't know how much to blame governments for that. It, it's so inured. It's, I have wondered at times if it's some part of genetic programming of Westerners that their identity is, is it's so fundamental to their identity. Like Russophobia or whatever you want to call it, um, hatred, fear of the Russian. It is so old. It is that book by, um, I forget his name, the Swiss journalist. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was mind-blowing to see how you go back in each year in history there's always different official reasons for why the Russians are evil. Currently, it's Putin recreating the Soviet Union. Then it was because it was the Soviet Union. Before that, Tsarist Russia, right? It had the equivalent of a rich elite. Right. So capitalists. It had religion, Christianity. So what's your gripe there? And still, no, no, it's, it's, it's imperfect because it's, well, they were able to be more explicitly racist in those days because it's backwards, because it's right. all kinds of things. Um, and it goes back and back, back to Peter the Great, even medieval Russia and so on. Anyway, it, is this, I think it's, it's so – it's actually – it doesn't – it's not – the story isn't really about them. It's, the story isn't about the other. It's about the Westerner. Mm. His self-identity is so formed around being better than the other. And it was wonderfully articulated by the democratic, unelected, head of the European Council. No, he's the he's Europe's informal foreign minister, Joseph Borrell, mm-hmm. last week, speaking to a bunch of Eurocrats in Brussels. You see, kids, Europe is like the garden, and everywhere else is like the jungle. Right. And we've got to keep this garden, you know, like a garden. Like that kind of talk, that, inf- that really, he, 
it wasn't that he was brave enough. He just was smart enough to articulate what is a common program, a common baseline program to Westerners. Yeah. So is this is this basically you know is this for example this was in on on social media in, in the past few days um, is this what like for example the oh God. you know the Iranian leadership or the Russian leadership or whatever or whatever country that's the the object of a, or the subject of a of attempts to liberalize it is this what they see uh, actually. Maybe we won't do that because it's pretty gross, actually. So um, you, you can look it up yourself if you want, uh, but we'll just do the headline. Um, don't we have, isn't that, uh, yeah, that a picture instead? No, why aren't you, why aren't you getting the picture? That's weird. Uh, here, I'll give you that Anyway, picture. it's a clip from British Saturday Night TV or Friday, whatever it was. A popular Talent channel, show. It's on Channel 4, which is a major uh, English um, new, uh, TV channel. And it was uh, some kind of a talent show or something like that. Uh, we won't play the video, but uh, this gives you, <laughs> gives you the lowdown on it, basically. Um, and there, you know, the audience is laughing. There's older people there. There's people with kids and stuff. And they're all thinking it's wonderful and funny and stuff. The, the headline um, for anyone listening. Moment, transgender singer strips naked live on Channel 4 and plays the keyboard with her penis. So much freedom and democracy. That's what we want. And then you know? the, in That's the video, you, need, you, need, you see the, the camera cuts to the crowd and they're up on their feet applauding. Applauding and laughing. Yeah, yeah. It's great. But that's what Iran needs, you know. Better that. Well, you said you said you wonder how the um, the Russians responded. Well, the Russian foreign minister, the Russian deputy ambassador at the UN, tweeted as and said, "Wonderful, wonderful mm. to see Western liberal democracy on display, or something like that, mm. or Western values." Okay, so one more before we wrap up. One more before we wrap up from the uh, from the oh my god, oh my god uh, archive. It's not even an archive. It's it's fairly recent. So, what would be you know, during the COVID era, the dancing... Hang on, I have to go back to my memory. Right. Yeah, okay, COVID, yeah. The COVID era, The dancing nurses oh, and yeah. doctors uh, that gave us all... The heroes. Nausea. Uh, the heroes that, that made, it all, made us all a little bit nauseous. The ones that were... that A lot of English people were coming out at 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock on a Thursday evening to applaud outside mm-hmm. their doors when they were locked in their houses. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be... Those people mixed with Extinction Rebellion. You know Extinction Rebellion, the, the crazy people who say that we all we need to shut, they're blocking roads in the UK. The world's going to end in 185 days. Well, they're blocking roads and throwing stuff on, throwing, doing public publicity stunts, basically, yeah. like throwing, um, cans, throwing paint, cans of soup paint, on paintings. On cans of pa- yeah, cans of soup on, on Van Gogh paintings or replica Van, Van Gogh paint, paintings in museums. They're gluing themselves to art galleries, to paintings in art galleries. They're, they're protesting, stopping traffic in roads and cities and all that kind of stuff. Vandalizing petrol stations. Yeah, we're all going to die if you don't you know, stop using fossil fuels right now. Um, what would it look like if you combined those two groups together, the dancing nurses and the extinction rebellion people? It would be something from your worst nightmare. It would be from mine, actually, if I had to lis- listen to them for very long. But... Luckily, we have a video, so you don't have to imagine it. <laughs> Volume up. 
Meant to be playing like isn't it? Ta- it's called ta- is it taps the that, that's that's the theme from two thousand and one space odyssey right da, 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 da. Uh, anyway <laughs> but those people are just they just strike me as extremely kind of they're quite naive uh, infantile kind of very simple simple minded people yeah. I mean well intentioned probably nice people but just. Uh, they're pacifists, you know. They're the latter day band the bomb. W, you know, uh, w, was it WND. What was it? Yeah, WND. Um, used to be W. Used to be ND. Yeah, against against nuclear bombs yep. and stuff in the eighties, and they would block. Not but that was a more worthy. Like th- there, they were hystericized against the threat of nuclear Armageddon mm. in the Cold War, so they protested at uh, and tried to sabotage. Um, mm. Nuclear installations in the UK, I know about. Maybe in the US a bit as well. Mm. But now, I mean, they has, they've been hystericized into believing that the world's about to end because of fossil fuel use, mm. warming the planet, and we don't have much time. We want to stay alive. We want our grandchildren to stay alive. they're going to destroy the planet. Th- their activism is actually actively bringing on what they're that, trying to prevent. That which they don't want. Yes. So that kind of activism and also the uh, kind of political correctness activism and the pushing of transgenderism and forcing people to accept things, you know, accept like in that uh, that article headline that said her penis. Right. Not in quotes. People have to accept that uh, as reality and that trans women are women even though they're actually men and vice versa and stuff. There's a, I don't know who he is actually, his name's Theodore Dalrymple. Maybe he's English. I don't know who he is. Um, but he wrote something, uh, we just throw it up there, Scotty, on propaganda and political correctness. He said, political correctness is communist propaganda writ small. In my study of communist societies, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they are forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity or honesty or integrity. To assent to obvious lies is in some small way to become evil oneself. 
One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and is intended to. Very well said. On the money. Yeah. I think it might have been an MP or journalist and then became an author. He rings a bell. Yeah, that's that's super. So he was he's obviously referring to what he observed from Soviet era communist societies. And the, the Russians recognize it too. Russians today recognize what's going on in the West with the same flavor. Putin said as much many times. Yep. Um, um I just looked him up there just just out of curiosity. He's a his real name is Anthony Daniels. He's a doctor and a retired writer. Oh. Worked in several African countries, blah blah blah. Retired in two thousand five. He's the editorial I'm reading this in French. Uh the City Journal. Manhattan Institute, blah, blah, blah. He's written for British Medical Journal, The Times, Observer, The Daily Telegraph, Spectator, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's the state of the world. What about the state of Britain? Uh, Let's trust another. Core blimey. What the hell's going on there? Rushy, 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 Sunak. Not Bojo. No, they can't have it. That's too much. That's too far. That's a bridge too far for... For what? For, for even for the Tory party, like for the Conservatives, like it's too far for the, it's a bridge too far for them to, to boot him to boot him in because he's a liar, basically, right? And and you know, I mean, he was roundly condemned for you know, a bunch of different things, but primarily the drinking parties, right? COVID, right? It's, when people were being locked in their houses, he was having out having fun, having having drinks with his friends, with his political friends. Um, to bring him back, what like a couple of months later, really? So it's, it's all fine. So it's got to be Sunak. Yeah. So why the hell didn't they make that decision a month ago when it was the, the race was between Sunak and Truss? Yeah. They, they went, oops, let's... No, actually... Yeah, good question. I mean... Um, it's mad. But, I mean, Liz Truss is... The Conservatives, like, they always want uh, any political party in the UK or, or the establishment, the, the national security state, uh, the efficient government... The unelected bureaucrats who run the country in the, in, in the UK always want um, the most pliable possible so tr- uh, trust uh, pri- for a prime minister. Trust and might have been the too independent, too smart. No, well, I mean, officially, they, they, that's why she was picked because she's so compliant. Hmm. But um, I don't know how she got away with doing that crazy uh, tax cut thing, like because that just totally. I mean, it, it exposed the fact that there's a big problem with debt in the UK, as there is in most Western countries. Uh, they, they basically can't finance their own debt. Um, they don't have the means to encourage investment, to get investment in to finance that debt, so they have to kind of keep a lid on the whole thing. And by her cutting 45% tax rate, it immediately said that, okay, what, what you're saying is if you do this, we're going to have to take a... There's going to be a big shortfall in receipts and actual, you know, the government receipts. We're not basically... This implies that we're not going to be able to uh, finance the government. And, you know, you could crash the economy basically just like that mm-hmm. by exposing this kind of like bomb that's lying under the surface that we're keeping kind of uh, papered over type thing uh, <clears throat> so I don't know she she, she, she was she naively had a, she had trying to solve yeah. the actual problem which wasn't what she was, was asked so of her she was so clueless no, 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 about no, the entire system she's supposed she's, to right. do a Thatcherite yeah. thing right 
Right. She just thought she'd charge in there and do a Thatcher thing, and she obviously didn't understand the entire system uh, or, or how things work. And she went in, and you know, um, and that was the end of it. I mean, and it was seen as an extremely obviously. It's in theory, it, it wasn't a bad idea under other circumstances, but under, under the current circumstances of massive debt um, that they can't really service anymore. In, in, in any real way, um, it was uh, like a big, you, you, it was a dereliction of respo- of, of duty, basically. Huge yeah. swathes of government sectors, public sectors, would have been closed, so the government would have shrunk, which yeah. is probably ideologically what she didn't mind, because that's the Thatcher thing, you know, right. shrink the government. But this is at a time when no, 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 government is maximalist, you know. Yeah, especially post. It's the old idea of perpetual growth. You know, that's the problem of the West. You can have perpetual growth forever and ever and ever, and to do that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, in theory, that, that that has worked, you know, by, by printing more and more money and, you know, perpetual growth and, and, and funding investment and, you know, international global globalization, trade, all that kind of stuff. You know, seeking resources, you know, you know, all, all the, basically the way the, the whole economic underpinnings of the, of the Western capitalist system uh, works uh, as long as um, you can... You know, you, you need it has to be continued growth, uh, or it's based on the idea of continued growth. But you can't have continued growth if you don't have the means to produce that continued growth, which is first and foremost energy. And right now, when government, Western governments are leading Western populations and to a certain extent the rest of the world, into an energy crisis where there's a shortfall in energy, where there's blackouts, where there's not enough and industry has a to shut down. a hardcore economic recession, yeah. constriction. Yeah. I mean, that debt, that massive debt that they've accrued has been financed by just printing money, et cetera, et cetera. And it could continue that way, on that way as long as you don't do anything to fundamentally undermine the economy. And okay. that's exactly what they're doing. Right. I mean, you know, there's been reports of a number of businesses in the UK. I think there's something like 25,000. I think it was... 25,000, or maybe it's more than that. It's, clo- it's closer to 100,000, actually. Small businesses will close or are potentially going to close by the end of this year in the UK. And that's just the UK. The same is happening to, to, to different extents in, in other European countries, in Germany, etc. You know? So somebody is you know, attacking the fundamental structures of, uh, of, of the real economy uh-huh. in, in the Western world that is the only thing that is preventing the phony economy, the massive amounts of debt that have been accrued that, uh, and the, 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 the massive printing of money, that's the only thing that's keeping that from, from being exposed for what it is, which is basically a false economy that is unsustainable and it'll, it'll, you know, those chickens will come home to roost if you undermine the actual uh, real economy. And that's exactly what they're doing. So it's almost like, I mean, I don't know, they, I'm sure they have some ideas about how they can keep the whole thing I mean, the only thing, the only way they can keep, I think they think they can keep the whole thing going now is to, you know, through, to avoid the obvious repercussions of denying essential energy supplies to Western economies, uh, is that they'll get those energy supplies from somewhere else. But that's a really risky game to play, like. Yeah. You know? so, Qatar and Saudi Arabia, like, yeah. we literally cannot and paying a lot increase more production yeah. to fulfill <clears throat> what you're asking for. Right. Interesting. So the agenda is deindustrialization, de- de- and Liz Trust just didn't understand that. Right. Bless her. Yeah. So that actually makes that's a good a good point in her book. She didn't. Yeah, she didn't understand a lot of things. She didn't even know. I mean, 
she famously didn't know six that, months ago that Russia was Ukraine and Russia yeah, and vice versa where they were that two areas in Ukraine were part or two areas in Russia were actually part of Russia and she thought she actually said that we will never recognize those two areas Russia as being Russian right so well you're gonna have to go back in time to, to change <laughs> that one because uh, they already are for a long time um, yep yeah. so anyway I think we'll uh, we're a bit late starting, but we're and we're a bit late ending, but that works out okay. Yeah, so I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Um, thanks for watching, listening, uh, commenting. Don't forget to smash all the buttons for, well, just because, uh, because it's the rule-based, <laughs> rule-based order that we're imposing here. Rule-based podcast. Yes. So, uh, and yeah, we'll be back next week with another show on whatever's been happening between now and then, so... Until then, have a good one. See you later. Thanks for watching. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now.